You're listening to a Sunday morning message by Authentic Church. Do that bit again. Forgot to press the recording. Good morning, everybody. <laughs> Good morning, and welcome to Pentecost Sunday. If you haven't heard that already, today we're going to look at um, and remember the very first Pentecost. I want us to think about Jesus' words to his disciples of waiting to be baptised with the Holy Spirit and how and where it took place. And we've experienced waiting this morning, and I'm not picking on you there, Roger and Tina, but we've experienced waiting, and it's it's a bit tense, isn't it? And are they going to be all right, and where are they? So waiting is not a natural thing for us to do, is it? We all get a bit tense in the waiting. I want to look at the effect the coming of the Holy Spirit had on them and about what it means to us today. And to do this, we're going to walk through some of the key sections of Acts chapter 1 and chapter 2, and we'll be reading from the NIV. I want us to walk through what happened and maybe maybe see the event with a fresh pair of eyes and a new perspective. And to achieve this, we are going to do things just a little bit differently today, because we can. So let me just pray. Father God, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for Pentecost. Help us today to experience, to witness, to see, to learn more about you and the Holy Spirit. Come and lead us and guide us as we explore your word today. Amen. Okay, now the first thing I need you to do is I need you to stand and we're going to move down here. I need that, thank you. Now I promise I won't keep you standing for long. But if you could kind of join me in this corner. So just here, just here, as long as you can... (laughs) So let me set the scene. Let me set the scene. I want you to imagine that you're now standing on the Mount of Olives. Okay, you're standing on the Mount of Olives, which you're most likely in the village of Bethany. Okay, village of Bethany. And the The book of Acts tells us it's 40 days after the resurrection. So 40 days after the resurrection. In those 40 days, the preceding days, Jesus had presented himself to many. He had appeared to many of his followers, and the Bible tells us over 500 people witnessed his resurrection or resurrected life. And he gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. And I kind of like that. It's like, there he was amongst them but he still had to prove he was alive and he ate and he drank to prove it so how did we get to bethany today how did we get here well in luke's gospel we read that jesus led the apostles to this place so jesus brought you here today wasn't just me asking you to leave your seats jesus brought you to this very place today so let's look at acts chapter one and i'm going to read it if you could give joan the mic please tammy Joan's going to help me here. Is it turned on? Cool. So, reading from Acts chapter 1. In my former book, Theophilus, and this is Luke writing, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach 
until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke to them about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered round him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Now, for those of you who know me, you'll know I have a keen interest in space travel. I follow SpaceX, NASA Artemis, Blue Origin and Virgin Galactic social media channels. And I tuned in last Sunday to watch the live launch of the latest SpaceX Dragon capsule and Falcon 9 as it launched taking four astronauts to the International Space Station. The roar, the sound is frankly phenomenal. Slowly, if you've ever watched these things, the rocket clears the tower. It's almost like it's in slow motion and eases upwards and then accelerating rapidly. And all the eyes are doing this as they follow this rocket go up. And then it enters the upper clouds and it's gone. And all the excitement seems to go with it. It can no longer be seen. But people continue to look up afterwards for a little while, almost as if they cannot believe their eyes. This huge machine, this huge machine with so much energy and power has gone. The show is over. And while some excitement remains, their eyes drop. They might share words with some people standing next to them, and then they realise it's all over. I wonder if that's how the apostles felt. Is it all over for us? But I love the kindness of God here. He sent two angels to speak to them in their moment of need. Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go. Then continuing in verse 12, it says, Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. So we're now going to take a Sabbath day's walk back to your seats. But I do need a little bit of help here from Tammy and Reuben, if you could. Tammy, could you lower the blinds, please? 
Ruben, could you pull these screens? And could you just, if you can, just take your chairs and can you just move them all a little bit closer to one another? So, welcome to the upper room. I kind of needed to sound dramatic somehow. You may have picked up in that little phrase in verse 12, they took a Sabbath day's walk to reach the upper room. A Sabbath day journey is how far a person can walk on a Sabbath without violating the law. It's about half a mile or one kilometre. So that's how far you've just travelled, about a kilometre back. So what, I know. <laughs> so what happened next? Verse 13. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Now, there is some debate if the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost took place in the upper room or in a room near or in the temple. And scholars seem to have some disagreement on that. There's also some debate whether this upper room that we're now imagining ourselves in is the same room used in the Last Supper. And again, some scholars say yes and some scholars say no. For today, I just want you to imagine you're in an upper room that we are meeting in. So we find the apostles with their new addition, Matthias, or Matthias, who was chosen to take over the apostolic ministry of Judas and other followers of Jesus, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, his and other female disciples and his brothers. I wonder how they felt. They had survived the shock of Jesus's death. They then had the likely shock of him coming back again. I imagine that must have been a shock. And they've enjoyed his company for 40 days. They've spent time with him, eating, learning from him as he taught them about the kingdom of God. And then to top it all off, he leaves them again. And this time there are no clues as to when he will return. No three-day prophetic words from the scriptures. In fact, the angels simply say, as if in comfort, this same Jesus who was taken from you into heaven will come back the same way. But they mention no timing. They give no indication of when. However, what we do know is they have been given some very clear instructions from Jesus. Verse 4, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised. For John baptised with water, but in a few days you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So what do they do in their waiting? Maybe they could have done more than us as we waited this morning, politely drinking a couple more teas and drinking some, eating some more biscuits. Maybe we should have done what they did, which in verse 14 says, they all joined constantly in prayer. I wonder how they prayed, how 
they felt. Jesus had told them to wait. I wonder how Peter took that. Jesus said in verse 4, in a few days you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit. But how long is a few? I wonder how patient they were. I wonder if they tried to imagine what being baptised with the Holy Spirit even looked like or felt like. I know I would. I wonder what it's going to be like. What's it going to feel like? They had been baptised with water. But Jesus clearly implied this was going to be different to that. And that when it happened, they would receive power. Were they excited or nervous? Did they talk about it amongst themselves, trying to guess? They likely knew the Old Testament prophecies, like in Joel 2.28, that I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. I wonder if they started asking themselves, is that going to be me? Am I going to dream dreams? Am I going to see visions? Am I going to prophesy? All the while, they were wondering, they were waiting, and they were praying. Now, they would have been acutely aware of a major event soon to happen, the Feast of Pentecost. Pentecost for the Jews was actually already a major event in their calendar and is one of the three pilgrimage feasts where all Jewish males were required to appear before the Lord in Jerusalem. Now, the Jewish Feast of Pentecost is celebrated on the 50th day after Passover, which is where the word Pentecost comes from. The Greek word Pentecosti means 50th. For those in the upper room, Pentecost was just around the corner. And for the Jewish nation, Pentecost is where they celebrated the annual anniversary of the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. Pentecost for Judaism is the day of the giving of the law, 50 days after Passover. For Christians, it is the day of the coming of the Holy Spirit. I wonder, as they waited, whether they knew or guessed something was going to happen on that day of Pentecost. So this brings me back to waiting. We know the ascension of Jesus happened 40 days after his resurrection, and Pentecost happened 50 days after Easter. Therefore, we can simply work out that they waited for 10 days to be baptised with the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus had told them it would be a few days. I'm not sure 10 equals few in my vernacular. A few days to me is maybe two or three, four pushing it, five is definitely not a few. At day six, I would be having serious issues. And I'm not sure where I would have been at day 10. However, while they waited, we know that they all joined together constantly in prayer. And so we're going to have a time of prayer now. I'm going to hand the mic out that anybody who wants to pray can have an opportunity to pray this morning. We pick up the story 
at the exciting bit. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each other. help but wonder what it was actually like. I'm sure that my slides and my efforts in PowerPoint don't even come close. It was not a soft wind, a gentle breath. It says it was the blowing of a violent wind. I wonder how they felt. Continuing in verse 4 of chapter 2, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. I wonder how that sounded. The day of Pentecost had arrived. The day they had waited for, the day that Jesus told them to wait for, had happened. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. So what happened next? What did they do with this newfound power that Jesus had promised them and given them? Let's carry on in verse 5. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one had heard their own language being spoken. Now my brother here, Paul, talks about a day that he was in his workshop praising God in tongues. And if I have this, remember the story right, someone was in the other room who came in and told him, did you know you were praising God in Italian? It's real. The Holy Spirit's gift of tongues is real. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all of those who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears in our own native language? The noise of the wind and the sound of their own language being spoken attracted a crowd who could not work out why this group of Galileans were declaring the wonders of God in their own tongues. And I love this. This is so human nature. The crowd went from being bewildered to amazed and ended up being perplexed. That is human nature right there. And as human beings, we don't like being perplexed. So the crowd started to ask questions. And in verse 12, they said, what does this mean? Carrying on from verse 13. Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with 11. 
raised his voice and addressed the crowd. This is the Peter that denied Jesus three times. This same Peter stood up and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what the prophet, this was what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Peter continues and gives his first Holy Spirit-empowered sermon. He provides all of the listeners who had come from all over, near and far, with a timeline and testimony of the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. He quotes Old Testament prophecies and leaves the Jewish listeners in no doubt about their role in the treatment of Jesus. And what effect did this have? Returning at verse 37, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and all the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptised every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God would call. With many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptised and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. I received a text uh, from my friend Paul, another Paul, who uh, is the pastor at Wyndham Baptist Church, and we met earlier in the week, and he said he was going to set up their baptismal pool in faith. He didn't have any candidates, and he texted me this morning to say he had two that had come forward for baptism, which is awesome. But this says 3,000. I can't even imagine what 3,000 people looks like in a space, let alone 3,000 people going through a baptism, that must have taken some time. So let's earth all of this. What does this mean to me? What does it mean to us? I think it means the same to us as it meant to those apostles and those first disciples of Jesus. In verse 8, Jesus told them, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. 
In the Great Commission, at the end of Matthew's Gospel, Jesus commands them to go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. At Authentic Church, we have a very simple purpose, to continue what Jesus started. Jesus says to his followers in John 14, 12, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. In fact, he goes on to say, you'll do even greater things than these. We believe we are commanded to love God with everything we have and love others as ourselves. We believe we are commissioned to make disciples of all nations and baptise them and teach them to obey everything Jesus had commanded. We also believe that to fulfil these commands, we have to be filled by the Holy Spirit to fulfil that purpose. In March this year, we handed out some verses concerning the Holy Spirit. And for those of you who were here, you'd have had a fridge magnet to put it on your fridge so you would see them. And these verses relate to some significant moments in the lives of Jesus and his disciples. From Luke 4.1, it says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan. In Acts, as we've read, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. In Acts 4, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, went on. When Ananias came and laid his hands on Paul, he said, he has sent me, Jesus had sent him, that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. You can see a common thread here. There is an unmissable common theme. They were either full of the Holy Spirit or filled with the Holy Spirit before they acted. Why is this important? I think Zechariah 4.6 gives us a clue. Not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Life can be tough. Being a Christian can be tough. Continuing what Jesus started when we do it in our own strength and in our own power is more than tough. We were not designed to be self-propelling or self-sufficient. We were not designed to be like a rocket or to be filled up with man-made fuel so that we could launch ourselves into the calling of God. God designed us to be propelled by the Holy Spirit. I can be guilty of just wanting to crack on. Jesus has given us a mission to do, let's get on with it. But we, I, need to remember, we are not lone rangers. Down that path, we can become delusioned, disillusioned, and frankly, worn out. Jesus tells us in John 15, we need to remain in him as he also remains in us. No fruit can bear fruit, no branch can bear fruit by itself. 
it must remain in the vine. And he goes on to say, with a warning almost, apart from me, you can do nothing. So we need to be connected to Jesus and filled with the Holy Spirit. The disciples had spent three years following Jesus and they themselves had already performed miracles. I wonder if they questioned why they needed to be filled. Yet Jesus still told them they had to wait until the Spirit filled them. Jesus had to ascend up so the Holy Spirit could come down. They had to wait for those individual tongues of fire to touch and fill each of them personally. And this filling needs to be ongoing. Ephesians 5.18 tells us to be filled with the Spirit. This be filled is a present tense verb. And what that means is we need to be continually filled. It's not just a one-off, it's a continual filling. Does this mean we can run out of the Holy Spirit? I don't believe so. But I think we can forget our need to be continually filled and try to act in our own strength and power. Peter's first Holy Spirit-empowered sermon took him from being someone who denied Christ to becoming a defender and promoter of Christ. It appears his fear of being exposed was gone, replaced with a spirit of boldness to carry on the work of Jesus. So to finish, Jesus clearly expected his apostles and his first disciples to be filled and to keep being filled with the Holy Spirit before they could continue what he started. And do you know what I think has changed? Nothing. Amen.